All right, guys, today we're recording an episode on entertainment. And I guess the biggest episode, um, or rather issue in movies, the biggest news in movies right now, is um, that the startup moviepass.com, which I have been using for four years now, announced this week that they're going to lower their price to $10 a month to see every new Hollywood movie in the theaters one time. And um, the way that works is, so I guess the guy's name I think is Low or Lowe's, and I don't think it's related to uh, to the hardware store, but um, he is a board member of Netflix, and they just got some new investment from a company that collects data, a fund that buys and sells data, and uh, he says they want to use that to discover new advertising opportunities. Um, a lot of people think it's too good to be true, but you know I have been using the app, like I said, for four years, uh, and it's accepted at Regal and AMC, the two major theater chains, and it's even accepted at some of the smaller art house theaters, like my local Hippodrome Cinema. So I would not be afraid to use it. It's month to month, um, so you know there's no long-term commitment. You can cancel at any time, etc. I think what's probably going to happen is eventually they'll raise the price. Um, when it first came out, at least in my area, it was thirty dollars, and then it raised to about forty, um, and that was over the course of four years. So I don't know that they'll be astronomical. One of the things, I guess, the reason that I think he's doing this is that they probably couldn't grow their business any other way. They said they have about twenty thousand subscribers, that they've hit all their targets. Uh, but the guy said that even $14.95, a lot of people balked at that price. I think what he's actually betting on is that people will sign up and then not use it. And the reason I think that that may actually happen is uh, I have a friend that, you know, he pays $40 a month and he still doesn't use it. So you'd think he'd have a big incentive spending that money, but he really does not use it that often. And so I think... You know, I don't know if their business plan will work, and they're going to try to make money selling that data, maybe working with theaters. He said that he thinks the ultimate model for theaters is to be a subscription-based model, and so maybe if he gets enough subscribers, he can get some type of bargaining power with them where he becomes a go-between or even just um, gets data that he can sell back to them on viewing habits or... Uh, you know, I honestly really couldn't tell you everything they have planned because the guy's playing it pretty close to the vest. But I do know that the fund that invested them is worth billions of dollars, so they have some money to burn. So you might as well use it if you like to go to the movies. Another thing I want to do is I want to tell you guys about some movies I saw recently that had really intriguing plots. But I honestly, I probably recommend that you do not see them because... Uh, well, I'll just give you an example. There's this movie called Beatrice at Dinner with Selma Hayek. And uh, a lot of these movies, since I have movie pass, I'll go in cold. I, I won't have seen a trailer. So I don't know what to expect a lot of times. And sometimes that can be fun. And Beatrice at Dinner, I'm going to spoil it for you. But trust me, I'm saving you two hours. Everything that I'm going to tell you that's redeeming, you would probably regret spending two hours on it. Um, and basically what the movie is about is Selma Hayek is a massage therapist slash, I guess, like natural healer or something and shows her waking up. She goes to work at this cancer recovery center, giving massages and acupuncture to cancer patients. Um, and so she goes to this woman's house. I think we had a blip there technically, so uh, sorry if I'm repeating myself. She goes to this rich woman's house, gives the woman a massage, 
Turns out that she was friends with the woman's daughter who had cancer. The girl has since recovered, but, um, you know, they treat her like family now. Well, the woman's going to have a big dinner party, so she's trying, Beatrice, Selma Hayek, is trying to get out of there, but her car breaks down. And the woman just says, you know, Beatrice, come and have dinner with us while you uh, wait for the tow truck, because it's going to be like an hour. And so... Some high goes to dinner, and at the dinner are a bunch of rich people, including um, faces I don't recognize, and then John Lithgow. And Lithgow is uh, the big shot there, and he's the one the the family's trying to impress. He's a business partner of the family. Um, the family that Selma Hayek helps is, is that guy's lawyer or one of his lawyers, etc. So they're at dinner. Selma Hayek's kind of fish out of water. Um, you know, I don't think she eats meat and um, she's into um, holistic remedies and healing. And anyway, it comes out that John Lithgow is a real estate developer and that he has developed hotels in Mexico. And she goes, she pipes up at that because she's from Mexico, her character. And she says, as well as some height, but she says, oh, we're in Mexico. And the guy's like, you know, I have one in, um, in um, all the big tourist places or whatever. And she's like, oh. Do you have one in, and it's some, it's like an Aztec name. I can't even pronounce it. And he says, no, no, I don't think I've ever had a hotel there. Or I know I haven't. Um, these are my only hotels. And she's kind of, uh, you know, weirded out by it. And she says, so what happened is um, my, as we found out earlier, I think the rich woman said her parents are dead. Selma Hayek's parents are dead. And so Selma Hayek says, yeah, when I was a little girl in Mexico, I had to leave Mexico because this real estate developer came in and he paid thugs to kick people off their land. And um, we lost everything. And my, my family, my siblings, we all had to split up and we had to get into America separately. And some, you know, my parents died. They didn't make it, etc. And John, everybody's feels horrible but you know it's not his fault so then um they uh they go out to like the sitting room to have like you know um a post dinner drink and um John Lithgow's showing a picture of a honey went on uh in Africa and he shows a hippopotamus or something he killed and Selma Hayek goes you think it's funny to have killed this beautiful creature and I think she throws the phone or something out of anger and she apologizes I've had too much wine and the rich woman takes her up why don't you go up to Maggie's room why don't you sleep there because the tow, tow truck's not there yet or it's not coming and anyway Summer Hayek is so despondent and or she's embarrassed but when she's in the daughter's bedroom uh, she gets on the computer and she starts googling John Lithgow's character and she sees photos of him and of course there's all these news stories about him uh kicking people off their land indigenous people all over the world um you know using like gestapo tactics or i don't know if that's stormtroopers basically that that you know people with uh people with batons kicking people off their land private armies Uh, and he's a swindler and he's a politically connected swindler etc so she goes out back out to the uh festivities and they're outside now by the fire and she says everybody's kind of like scared because the last time she threw a phone and the one's like why don't you go back up to sleep Beatrice she's like no 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 I promised I would play a song on my guitar and so she starts playing this beautiful song for everybody and it's actually really beautiful and then afterwards she says you know that's a song from my homeland and she says it's a, a sad song about um, fall. I forget what. And she said, you know, 
Doug, which is John Lithgow's character, um, after dinner, I didn't believe you when you told me that that wasn't your hotel. And I started Googling about you. And, you know, I found out you're not that man. You're not the man who built the hotel in the town where I'm from and that kicked me and my family off our land. But you're just like him. You're another person like him. And you treat people this way. And you think that um, you take pride in destroying things. And she says, but what you should realize is it's very easy to break things. It takes a second. It's much harder. It's so hard, she says, to heal people, to put them back together. And she says, you think the world needs more men like you, but it doesn't. And he responds back. And this John Lithgow, he is great in this movie, okay? But he, he he's not intimidated by Beatrice. And he actually doesn't tell her to shut up. Like, she, they don't say shut up. But he's not afraid of what she's saying. And he says, the world does need more men like me. You know why? Because I create jobs and I give people what they want. And so the lawyer guy whose house it is says, that's it. Uh, I don't care if that tow truck's not coming. I'm getting somebody over here to take her home. She's leaving right now. And she's like, Beatrice. And the woman's like, you, you embarrass me so much. And so they take her out to like the foyer or something. And um, she's waiting out there in, in the lobby or, uh, you know, the foyer of the house. And John Lithgow needs to take a phone call. So he happens to be taking a phone call uh, near her and he gets she's on the front porch steps rather and so he gets off his phone and he walks over to her and this is the move the point so the the two hours of that have elapsed practically they were not very entertaining but this is it's one of those movies where you don't get it until this moment and what he says is um he walks over to her she's keeping herself but he walks over and he says you know I think you have a lot of feeling, but the world doesn't need more feeling. And he says, and you know what? Maybe all of us do cause trouble and maybe I have hurt people, but you know what? Sometimes you have to have a little fun. And what you realize is he is the most evil person on the face of the earth. He didn't say it, but he's basically copying to everything she called him out on. And not only is he admitting to it, he's almost proud of it. He is proud of it. And if they had said, like if there was an interview with the director of this movie after the movie and the director said yes what this movie is actually about is John Lithgow is the devil like he's the literal devil and so this is about what if the devil showed up at your dinner party you would believe it because John Lithgow has been so good in this movie at being evil and it was slightly but it was covered by jokes and bravado and kind of good actually good sense of humor and folksiness the whole movie but when he says this and that's when I realized John Lithgow if, when, when he wants to be 
is a tremendous villainous actor. So the movie's not over yet. And so you're kind of in shock from what he says and how he says it to her. So she walks back inside flustered. And she goes to the kitchen. And she gets a knife. And she's walking out into the foyer. And he's still on his phone. And she runs up behind him, jumps on him. And sticks the knife into his throat. And crumples to the floor with him. And as he's laying there, she holds his head in her hands. And she says, now do you see? All tears flow from the same source. And then she wakes up. She was, it was basically a fantasy she'd had in her head. It was very moving, I thought, what she said. But she gets in the tow truck that eventually comes and she leaves and then she tells the tow truck driver to stop. Um, and something I should say is at the beginning of the movie, she mentions that she owned a goat and her neighbor didn't like that the goat bleeded a lot. And she found the goat suffocated that morning. And so she suspected the neighbor of killing her goat. And I think she even said John Lithgow's just like the man that killed her goat. So anyway, she tells the tow truck driver to stop. And she gets out and they're near the beach. And so she starts walking to the beach and some high just starts walking in the waves and a wave hits her and she keeps walking out and another wave hits her and she keeps walking out keeps and this is pitch black at night and we realize is she wants to die and then the last scene in the movie is just water the camera's gone underwater and you just see mostly blackness with a little bit of moonlight coming through and then it fades to black and so i've made that movie sound really cool i promise you you're better off having had me explain it to you because I basically told you the the two or three only good lines in the movie. But I did respect that it was kind of different. So um, another movie I saw recently was Spider-Man Homecoming. And I know a lot of people saw it. If you haven't seen it, it is pretty good. I don't think, you know, my first reaction was it's the best Iron Man movie I've ever seen. And I say that kind of jokingly, but he is actually a highlight of this movie. I did enjoy it more than even, I think, a lot of Iron Man 1, um, which a lot of people, they call it their favorite. It's not my favorite Marvel. I think my favorite Marvel movie is um, Captain America Winter Soldier. But, um, you know, it's a good movie. The thing is, is I don't think it's ever going to surpass. I don't think they're ever going to surpass the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, at least the first two that were directed by Sam Raimi. And Sam Raimi is is described as an auteur, which is a French word, French word. It's it's you know, it looks like auteur, but it's pronounced, I believe, auteur. And anyway, um, it's a French word, and I think within film directing, what it means is somebody with a style so distinctive that you can recognize it just from looking at the images who made it. And he's almost to that point, a lot of his movies, he's very good at making um, comedy out of horror and, and that fine line switching between them. But he just, I felt like his Spider-Man, a lot of people mentioned that it was sad, and it was sad, but I think that that's why it's good. I've talked in another podcast that... Um, I asked an English professor one time, why is the best literature bittersweet? Or the stuff, I asked her actually, why is all the stuff that we're taught bittersweet? And what she said was, or why is it sad rather? And she said, hmm, you know, if I had to think about it, it's probably because things that are bittersweet are more memorable. And so they stand the test of time. And I also got into in that other podcast that I think that 
the reason they are more memorable is that there's a study that humans like to experience a mix of emotions. So being, you know, anticipating in a movie is, is good. And maybe being a little um, scared in a movie is also good. But if you combine the two, it's better. Or being a little happy and a little sad, again, more it's better. More of your brain, I think, lights up. And that might mean more dopamine is released. And I know that... Um, so, like, we all notice that we'll remember weird things and not others. And one of the reasons you remember what you do is you remember what is emotionally important to you. So if you find something, if you don't care about it, and by caring, I mean if you have no feeling about it, so if you don't like math, you won't remember it. So I think that because that Raimi movie has a little bit of sadness with the happiness, or rather a lot of sadness at times, it makes you remember it more. And I think that that's true of a lot of fiction. Um, And I also, you know, people pick on the fact that he's a dork. I think that makes it better because he's actually an outcast. You know, the Andrew McCarthy, the more recent Spider-Man before this new guy, the one in between Tobey Maguire and the newest one, he was not a dork. I mean, they might, I can't remember if they depicted him really nerdy, but I think they said, oh, I remember this. They said, he's not a dork. He's a nerd in this new one. And being nerdy is actually, it can be cool. It depends how you do it. So if you're nerdy, but you still have fashion sense, that's considered cool. Or that's kind of a way I would encapsulate it. That's who his Spider-Man was. But Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, he was nerdy and he was dorky. He had no social sense. He had no fashion sense. He had no any sense. And so um, because of that, I think he's more of an underdog. And we love underdog tales. Um, And then also, Tobey Maguire is just a better actor. Um, He was... uh, he was Oscar nominated. He might have even won before he was cast in Spider-Man. And then there's also the fact, you know, it's the first time I can't remember. I think it was after X-Men, but it was the first time we'd seen since I guess the first Superman movie, a true to the comics, uh, superhero movie. It had been a while and we hadn't seen digital effects. So the first Batman, a lot of people liked that. A lot of people like that old Superman, but we hadn't seen a superhero movie with a lot of good digital effects. So, uh, those Spider-Man and then Spider-Man 2 is up there with Dark Knight Uh, it's probably just a hair below Dark Knight still very good because you care about the characters uh, more than I think you do with this new this new Spider-Man I didn't mind that his aunt is young and hip I think it helps resonate with it resonated with me I didn't mind that um, you know for much of it he's not interested in uh, Mary Jane Um, you know I don't, I don't, I think, I think it makes it exciting to be honest. I like being on my toes. So this is a weird aside. I watch a lot of Indian movies and people think that means Bollywood, but actually not all Indian movies are Bollywood movies. Bollywood is a special, um, there's actually like six Indian film industries. You got to remember it's, there is more than, there are more than a billion people there now. And, um, Bollywood is just the film industry in Northern India around Mumbai. So it'd be like in America, if 10 different towns were famous for making movies. And so there's Bollywood, there's Tollywood, which is in the Telugu region. There's Kaliwood, 
um, which I don't recall where that is. And so you get you get what I'm getting at. And some of these, so India has states as well. Some of these states on their own are some of the largest countries or most populous countries in the world. So there's lots of Indian movies. And also I want to say not all Indian movies are song and dance. I think the bread and butter is song and dance. But even with movies that are still very musical, there's starting to be fewer musical numbers or they're making them more integrated into the story. In other words, rather the, the there'll still be, it'll still be shot like a music video in montage where time Time is elapsing, um, but the character won't be singing. And maybe the echo, the lyrics are, it, the song is written with lyrics about the, what's going on. You know, she broke my heart, blah, blah, blah. You know, the character won't be singing that. It'll just be showing their life. So I think they are reaching a point. You know, there's a more recent movie called Dungal. And Dungal, is, it came out last um, fall. And it is the, it was distributed internationally by Disney. It's the highest grossing Indian movie ever. And I think it's my favorite movie. Um, we'll see. Part of that is how many times I want to rewatch it. But Dungal, uh, when it came out, was my favorite movie. And it's, I think it's in my top five. And what it's about is um, the first female um, Indian Olympic medalist at wrestling. And um, it's really moving because, and they don't even mention this in the movie, it's about a, um, an Indian like state level wrestler, maybe national level wrestler, who he wanted to train his kids to be wrestlers, but he had four daughters. And so he trained, uh, he decided to train his daughters, which was frowned upon. I guess it's done, but I think it's still somewhat uncommon. There might still be a stigma. And here's the thing that they don't even say in the movie. The town that this movie, that they're from, they're real people. The town that they're from are um, Hyderabad. It is the female infanticide capital of India. So more female children are murdered by their own parents in in that town than elsewhere and the reason is that unfortunately you know in agrarian society men were more valuable because they could do more physical labor and so male children and also patriarchy i mean you know um in other words discrimination and prejudice against women um but they unfortunately in a lot of societies they will still kill their their daughters and it's horrible and that's changing and i think we all know how capable women are so that as other countries industrialize that will continue to change but unfortunately it's still happening in india and also they have a custom of a dowry so if every daughter you have you either have to provide for her partially for life i suppose or you you have to pay a dowry to get someone to marry her and they've actually tried to outlaw the dowry but or officially the dowries are illegal because it discourages um, female children and that so i believe infanticide is why they've made it illegal but it's still everyone does it and it's sort of um the unspoken law that you that you have to give a dowry unfortunately but anyway, Dungal, very moving story. And it's like it's like an action movie. It's like the first female Rocky, but there's multiple female leads. So it's not just, it's not purely, it's a family movie. And it's, uh, man, it is just great. And you probably have never seen a wrestling movie. It's an action movie. I mean, those wrestling matches, you are so in the zone. And I've seen it with a variety of people over time now. So it's, I, it's on Netflix, or at least it was very recently. So I would check it out. Dungal, but that's spelled D-A-N-G-A-L. So Dangal. So um, anyway, awesome movie. Oh, and there's no uh, song and dance. There's a wedding in it, but they're not, I don't, they might be singing lyrics in the wedding song, but that's it. It's really not about uh, musical numbers. It's not a musical. 
one of the reasons I bring up Indian movies is Indian people loves, believe it or not. He, Spider-Man is so popular in India, you will hear quotes about Spider-Man in the romantic comedies. I mean, I've heard it in a variety of movies. They'll say things like, even Spider-Man has a weakness, or they'll say, you know, even Spider-Man needs a break. And they'll use that, you know, when we say, we would say Superman. We would say, like, you know, even Superman has a weakness if we said it. But that would be, I think, we are much more likely to say him than say Spider-Man. But Indian people prefer Spider-Man. There was even, I think, an officially licensed TV show over there. And you can YouTube it. It's it's horrible. And it's a musical. It's a Spider-Man musical TV show. It has rom- romance. Every Indian movie has romance, by the way. Um... And that's one of the reasons I still watch Indian movies. They still do romantic comedies. So it's almost refreshing when you haven't seen one in years and years. Uh, But anyway, um, so, and here's why apparently. So Spider-Man is the highest grossing superhero property. Spider-Man, when you count the merchandise and the movies, it has sold more than any other superhero franchise. And that surprised me. I figured it would be Batman. Uh, particularly with the Nolan movies that have grossed over a billion dollars, it's not. It's uh, it's Spider-Man, and I never understood that until a friend of mine, who's almost like a comics historian, said, "Yeah, you know why? Um, if you're a kid in India, do you want a, a picture of a white man's face on your bed, or you want a picture of Spider-Man? Spider-Man wears a mask. He could be anybody, and it's true. So Superman doesn't wear a mask." Um, Batman wears a mask, but it only covers half his face. You know, the X-Men, most of them don't wear masks. So, so many of these heroes, Captain America, again, obviously a white guy. So, it's Tony Stark, Iron Man. But with Spider-Man, anybody can resonate. And so, or resonate with him. He resonates with many other cultures. And so, um, I have a friend. He's actually, he is the assistant editor of the Avengers comic at Marvel Comics. He is from my high school. He graduated with me from Eastside High School here in Gainesville. And if you look on Avengers comics, at least for the past several years, his name is on the inside as assistant editor, and his name's Jake Thomas. And I mentioned that to him. He said, do you know that we even have a Spider-Man India? And I believe his last name is Patel, because I think that is the most common name there. And it's also a humble name. I think it means that you were probably a farmer. But I, I may get that wrong, and I apologize if I've gotten that wrong. But, um, you know, I think that's awesome. And so, oh, and here's why, bring it full circle. There is a scene in Spider-Man Homecoming in India. Uh, So I won't spoil it for you. And it's brief. But they did a shout out. And that makes sense because the international box office, a lot of people don't know, American box office is on the decline in terms of dollars. And it's, I don't know if it's multi-year declines, but it's not growing and attendance is not growing and any increases that we see in the revenue are from uh, ticket price increases and from 3D sales and IMAX sales but it's been the same amount of people going to the movies for 10 years at least there's a Bloomberg article on this and it is that's even as the population in America is always growing and so there's I think it's probably Netflix and I think it's social media, you know, people don't need to go to the movies to get as many kicks. And so that explains why movie pass, by the way, is it might be a subscription method might be the way forward for them. But in the meantime, Hollywood's trying to make their money up overseas and they appear to be doing that because even crappy movies, I'll tell you that new Vin Diesel triple X movie was horrible. Um, I see every action movie. I actually walked out of this. I haven't walked out of a movie in years. Um, and I, I found it so boring. 
Um, even though the actors were charismatic, I couldn't tell you why they're so bad, but all the triple X movies are. But anyway, even that movie made over $400 million, most of it due to China. However, so Spider-Man Homecoming still has not been released in China. And I have a feeling, oh, apparently the stated reason is, um, they, so Chinese government dictates what movies can be released in China. I don't know how many other governments do that. It may not just be them. I know that they censor movies a bit more heavily maybe much more heavily than other countries. Um, but anyway, the reason they said is they want Chinese domestic movies, movies that are made there, to have more of a chance during the summer. So um, anyway, I, I happen to think you get better by competing. So um, that is my, uh, you know, that's my belief. Um, and I also think that, that um, the global economy grows more if countries are allowed to do what they're best at. And eventually China mo- Chinese movies will always get better like Indian movies are getting better but if you're never competing or being compared to the greats and you're not allowing the, the consumer that choice how are you going to know that you you know that you create world-class cinema and um, also when the global economy grows more that ultimately lifts all boats and we've seen that with how globalization has helped developing nations so much their standard i mean china was in the bronze age just 20 years 15 years ago and i think still a third of the nation they use oxen plow to farm so anyway a global economy has helped china and i, I honestly think they should probably know better but um you know uh and by emulating Apple, by emulating Google, it's approving every day. But I guess not with movies. Hopefully, this is this isn't a trend. But, but while China blocks American movies, that will hurt Hollywood, and they may have to look for new revenue streams. One of the ways they're doing this is with VR. So they're creating these things called VR experiences for the movies, and I've seen the one about Spider-Man. And the idea is, it's 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 only in certain IMAX theaters right now, but you pay a higher ticket price so that after or maybe before, and it might even be by appointment, in the lobby of the IMAX theater, they have these VR headsets that allow you to play a game that's based on the movie you just saw. And they've had one for John Wick. They've had one for Spider-Man. They've had one for Star Wars. And so I think it's cool. Um, you know, I'd actually like to try it. There's no, I think the IMAX theaters that have it are West Coast only, but maybe that'll be everywhere. Um, so so, and by competing, you know, by having to compete with Netflix, Hollywood's having to think of these things. So anyway, so I won't get too, too much more preachy. So I'm going to tell you about another movie. This movie is even shorter than Beatrix at dinner. Uh, you shouldn't see it, but I'm going to tell you about it because it was so crazy. And it's called A Ghost Story with Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. And it's not really a horror movie. It's truly about ghosts. And it's so it's so much not a horror movie that Casey Affleck, who's a ghost during most of it, he wears a sheet. He literally wears a white sheet with holes in a mouth cut out to show that he's a ghost. But basically it starts out... Um, Casey and Mar, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara live in a house together. He's a musician. They go to bed one night and uh, they hear the piano chime. And they go out. Nobody's there. Um... The next day, oh, and by the way, they're really happy. The next day, he goes to work, or they show that his he got in a car accident right outside his house. Next thing you know, he's in the morgue. Rooney's identifying the bar, body. When she leaves, he gets up with the sheet. The sheet they lay back over his face. He gets up, starts walking around like that. All of a sudden, you see in the hospital that he's walking through, you see a square of light open up on a wall in front of him. And he just stands and stares at it. And then the square closes and he walks on. So I guess that's saying that he he refused to move on. He goes back to his house 
and he's there before her. When she gets there, back to the house, somebody has left a pie for her. So this, this, this is to show you how crazy this movie is. She eats on camera in real time an entire pie. And I mean not rushing, not going slow, but not rushing. So for about five minutes of this movie, you just watch Rini Mar eat a pie and the camera angle doesn't see her sitting on the floor, you see him watching her, her eating a whole pie, okay, so anyway, he watches her, watches her, and she gets a boyfriend, it's a little emotional for her, but, and when I say, it sounds like stuff is going on here, no, he can't leave the house, he only sees, and we, they fast forward a lot, so we literally, the only time we ever see her is coming and leaving the house, okay, one time he's in her bedroom, he looks out the way, and he sees another person wearing a sheet somebody else's bedroom he walks up to the window the other person turns and sees him and walks up to the window raises their hand under the sheet and underneath they put a caption that says hello he raises his hand and you see a caption that says hi and he says what are you doing and they say I'm waiting for someone and he says who and they say I can't remember so Rudy Mara said in this in the when I was Did you? And she said no. So she's going to move, live with her new boyfriend. She leaves a little note in the wall. So she leaves in a U-Haul. He doesn't leave. He starts trying to scrape this note out of the wall. She's painted over it, so it's really locked in there. Um, all of a sudden, little kids run in. And then another family walks in. And um, then... So it's like he's forgetting each time that he was looking for the note. He keeps getting distracted by new families. Then, just as he, after every family leaves, he goes back to the note. Just as he's about to get this note out of the wall, behind him the wall caves in and the house is being bulldozed and he's just staring at it. And the other ghost, her house is bulldozed too. Well, I guess it's a girl because it's like a floral sheet. And they raise their hands and say, I guess they're not coming. And then all of a sudden the sheet falls to the ground. There's nothing under it. Well, then he, it's almost like he teleports and he appears in an office building and he's watching people having a really boring meeting. He's walking around the office building, a garage. He walks around the city. Nothing happens. Then all of a sudden it's like scene cut. He's in a grassy field and he watches somebody like bearing a post and they dress like a pilgrim. And then these other pilgrims come up and they're eating dinner on a fire. And the guy says, it'll be a great house, huh, son? And the son's like, yep. Then you hear voices, uh, like Indian voices, and you see that same family is shot with arrows, okay? Then you see the house that he lived in at the beginning, and you see him in the house, and he's watching him and Rudy Mara move in. And then um, you hear conversations that Rudy Mara and, and Casey Avick were having, and she says, why don't you want to move? And he's like, I don't know. Uh, she's like, it's crazy. Why can't you move? He's like, I just can't. She's like, why? He's like, we have a lot of history here. She, she sits and she goes, not that much. And you as the audience are laughing because he's been there for hundreds of years. Um, and then he dies. And then she leaves again. And he's watching himself as a ghost, watching her leave the house again. So, um, this time, 
the same families move in, but this time he's able to get that little note out of the crook in the wall. And the house isn't being bulldozed for some reason this time. And he opens it up and he, you see him reading the note. You can't see it. And then all of a sudden his sheet falls to the ground and he's disappeared and the movie ends. So anyway, it's, this all took place over two hours. Okay. Most of the movie is no talking. Most of the movie, nothing's happening. Um, so I, it sounds crazy. It sounds kind of cool, but that's because I've told you like the best five minutes of it. Um, but what I didn't understand it until a friend told me it's about Nietzsche's infinite recurrence or reoccurrence. And I guess he borrowed this from Hindu reincarnation. So we've all heard about being born again in the different body. Apparently there's a branch of Hinduism that Nietzsche ascribed to, which doesn't just say you'll be reincarnated. It says you'll repeat and it says the whole universe repeats. Now, whether that's any, has any special message for us, I don't know. I couldn't, I, I, I haven't gathered a message from the movie. Um, there were kind of some beautiful moments. There was an image of the stars. Um, Rooney Mara's leaving the note. Um, the family that moves in. There's a, there's another family that gives a little talk. A guy at a party says, well, he basically describes the history of the universe and says, we'll all end up as dust inside of black holes. And it's beautiful, but depressing. Anyway, nothing happens. Well, anyway, there's one last thing I'm going to tell you before I go, and I'm not going to tell you this whole movie, but I'll just tell you the premise. And it's called the book of Henry. And again, Oh, I wasn't going to go see this one because the poster looked like a family drama, like it looked like a sitcom, uh, like a wholesome sitcom with Naomi Watts and a little kid who's been in a lot of movies now. I don't know his name and blah, blah, blah. And the reason I went to it is I read this review that called it the best bad movie of the year. And basically it said the movie's horrible, but that you'll watch it in shock. The guy said, please see this movie so that I know I'm not the only one who saw it and put me out of my misery. And this is what it is. Picture a movie. It's a movie about a really smart kid. And picture um, that this kid is so smart, he runs the family's finances and he's made the family rich uh, in the stock market. Um, And, you know, he's cute and he gives cute little presentations at school you get to see. And he tells his mom, Naomi Watts, you don't have to work, mom. Uh, you know, you. Uh, I've made us all this money. You know you don't have to be a waitress anymore. And she says, oh, Henry, shush. You know, almost like she doesn't even understand money. And she plays video games. And, and, and you know, there's all this cute... There's a girl next door that he's... She's like... Um, kind of enigmatic and mysterious. And he loves her. You know, he has a crush on her. And um, basically... Uh, then he dies. And I'm not kidding. So this is an hour into this movie. He suddenly dies of a brain tumor. And it's super sudden, okay? Um, and you thought, you know, oh, maybe he'll get better. No, like, he's he goes to the hospital and he dies within minutes, all right? Well, the mom's devastated. The little brother or sister, I think it's a brother. I can't remember. They're devastated. But they go home. And by the way, the mom's a mess. The house is always a mess, blah, blah, blah. So now it's even more of a mess. But they're cute. And anyway, she finds a journal and she finds some tapes of his. And she says, Mom, read this or listen to this, whatever. Indicate she should listen. And she puts it on. 
And what it says is, all right, mom, I know you're sad. You'll get through this. Listen, you have to kill our next door neighbor. And you're like, what the fuck? And he goes, yes. And she, you know, it's like he's having a conversation with her. He's not there. Yes, you heard me correctly. You need to kill police commissioner Brown because their next door neighbor is the police commissioner. And she's like, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but here's why. I saw him doing X to his daughter and I forget what he has. saw him abusing his daughter. And I know you're going to say I'm crazy. I've, you're going to think of every other thing that you can do, but it's not going to work. And I need you to trust that I'm Henry. I'm super smart and I've thought of everything. And so, of course, you know, they show her arguing with him. And sure enough, the tape has these convenient pauses where she can talk to it. And uh, by the way, this movie's by Colin Trevorrow, the guy who did the last Jurassic Park movie, which is actually pretty decent. And he did, uh, he's going to be doing the next, uh, or the last Star Wars movie, Star Wars 9. Um, uh, the, the, The last of this latest trilogy. But anyway, so she eventually acquiesces. And he teaches her how to get a gun and put together the sniper gun components that she'll need and how to train with that gun. And she's training in a treehouse that he had built way back in the woods somewhere behind their house. And um, how to avoid security cameras when she's all this stuff. And he set it up. It'll happen on the night of the big recital. And so what she does is she's really scared but he's coaching her the whole time at the shooting range. I know you can do this, mom. Good job, mom. Like he knows when she will have gotten a good shot finally. And somehow he's right. So anyway, it's the night of this big, uh, oh, it's a talent show that one of her kids is in. And by the way, um, there's this cool doctor that's like into her, some, I for, some charming actor, I forget his name. And he's trying to help her with her grief or whatever, but he, she can't really be consoled. And so anyway, he's at this recital too. So, um, basically she goes there and she says she's gonna she's volunteering and she offers to watch the halls or something so really what she's doing is she's gone back to her house and she set up oh and by the way she saw the guy abusing his daughter too because she was told when to look by the sun he does it the same time or something and you don't ever see what he did she does have like a bruise or something so it's you know it involves violence Um, But you don't know explicitly and they make the wise choice to hide it. Anyway, so she puts like a walkie-talkie outside of his backyard and it makes a noise and it's designed to get his attention. And then it draws him back out uh, even further into the woods where she's there waiting with a gun. And she's listening to the tape of her son. She has the sniper rifle on the guy and she stands up and she says, no, you don't know better because you're just a kid. And that's hilarious because the review I read, the guy said, at this point, I literally stood up in the theater because I felt like it had a lot to say about Trump. We don't have to listen to children. And I can't remember if he found other political allegories in the movie, but it was hilarious how he phrased this review, even if you don't agree with him. But um, which I think more and more of us are being, you know, getting to dislike Trump. Uh, But anyway... Uh, so walks out of the treehouse there, and he sees the gun, and he's found the walkie-talkie taped to a tree, and he's putting two and two together. He's like, "What are you doing?" And she goes, "I know, Bob. I know what you've done. I know what you are." And he says, "I don't have to hear this. You're going to jail." He starts walking away. She goes, 
that's fine. But remember, no matter what you do, I will not give up until you are brought to justice. I will tell whoever I have to, I know what you've done, blah, blah, blah. So she's, I guess the idea is she's becoming an adult. And he starts walking back to his house. Meanwhile, there was this talent show is going on and his daughter, the abused girl, is doing a ballet performance. And this ballet performance, it is so beautiful and it is so adult. It is way more adult than anything. I mean, it's professional. And she looks very sad. And the principal is watching and she sees it and the principal goes, <gasps> and she puts her mouth over her own, her hand over her mouth and she's in tears. And I, then she walks away backstage. Well, Bob is at his house. Naomi Watts is trying to dispose of the gun. She's disposing of it in a river and she gets back to the recital and she goes to pick up her kid and she's hugging the kid and she, she sees the other kid perform his magic show, which somehow he makes the whole auditorium snow and nobody cares. Um, and then, uh, you know, the love interest walks up, they're all hugging, but then the cops show up at school and she goes, let me go check this out. And she goes to the front and the principal's there and the girl is there and the cops are walking her away. And what you see is Bob at his house, the police commissioner, and he's on the phone and like the guy on the phone saying, we can't, we can't hush this up anymore, Bob. The principal's called in too many times. Um, sorry bye and he goes okay and then you see sirens outside well he takes the gun that he was using earlier he puts it and you hear a, a pop and basically Naomi Watts adopts the daughter and they all live happily ever after the reason I told you about this movie is it is the most it actually Naomi Watts is charming in it but it is the most and, and the kid is kind of charming but it's almost retarded how smart he is I'm sorry for using that word. It's almost insulting how smart. It's too convenient. But the it is the most weird, it is the most difficult shift in tone, unsuccessful shift in tone that I've ever seen in a movie. It is if you married a slasher film with a family drama because some of the moments with that dad are very dark. Moral peril moments. Just they don't show anything graphic, but you're led to assume something disgusting is happening, and it's all the worst because they actually make you care about the characters. But it is it is ultimately an unsuccessful shift of tone. You feel manipulated as a viewer a lot of times. I asked the people going in, I was like, "Did you know what that was going to be on the way out?" And people were like, "I had no clue." And so I think I didn't see the trailer, but I almost wonder if the marketing hit it to some degree. And it's so jarring how he's killed so quickly. It's just, it was almost if it's like it feels manipulative. It doesn't feel the 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 the, the shock you feel. It doesn't feel earned. It feels like a trick almost. And so this is interesting because this guy did a good job in Jurassic Park. He's going to be doing this next uh, Star Wars movie, two Star Wars, two or three Star Wars movies from now. But after the Han Solo movie is when his movie will come out. Um, and so it, I think he can probably do big budget well. I think, you know, Jurassic, it's almost like there's two of him. The other movie he did is called Safety Not Guaranteed. And it's about Aubrey Plaza, 
uh, is dating a hipster guy, like a classic stereotypical hipster guy, you know, he acts like he's smart, but he's not smart, you know, he acts cultured, but he's not cultured, he wears, you know, he wears intentionally old vintage looking clothing, blah, 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 there's not really, he's kind of a, a flake, but he's convinced that he's building a time machine, that's what that movie is about. Um, and it's kind of interesting. You might enjoy it. It's a comedy. It's a sci-fi comedy. It's not a lot of sci-fi in it. It's mostly um, not almost a rom-com, like a fish-out-of-water rom-com, um, but uh, mostly about Aubrey Plaza. So it's almost like he likes to do these weird little movies, and then somehow he's also decent at big budget with Jurassic World. So it's like every other one. Like Christopher Nolan will do like a franchise and then do one for him, and then a franchise and one for him. So anyway, guys, I know I've talked about a lot. Um, I want to go ahead and save some other entertainment topics, movie topics for another one. Um, You know, I like to do variety on this show. Uh, Again, I'm picking movies that I really think, I mean, most people I saw them with were like, well, that was a waste of time. So I know I've made them sound interesting. I hope you don't mind me spoiling things. Um, but I think it's almost like these movies had a kernel of good plot and then it just wasn't executed well. So wanted to share it with you and, uh, feel free to send me any requests or questions you have, um, suggestions, you know, I'm trying to do this low budget and low effort because, you know, I, I have a day job. I actually have been working uh, for two different, I've worked my own business and I also been helping, um, another company, uh, in the office, uh, half the time doing marketing for another company. So, um, you know, and, and, and it's more of a passion project. It's, it's not really designed to, to raise revenue or anything like that. So anyway, I, but I do appreciate you guys listening. I see the numbers. It is growing a little. Um, I view it mainly, honestly, it's just a way to have, it's an extension of my Facebook posts, a way to have almost like a phone conversation with my Facebook friends. At some point I may improve the production quality. You know, I do have a better mic. I'm using a phone app right now called Anchor because it's free. Um, it is fun. You can do little five minute segments too. That's how it started out. The other thing I like is they automatically upload me to all the different podcast services. I mean, they do like five major ones, iTunes, Google play, overcast, pocket cast. So those are the four and they'll do more than that. And I'm asking them if they can do more, maybe even YouTube. I think they do YouTube with transcripts. So you may see me do uh, something like that on YouTube even. Um, anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Obviously, be a totally different topic next time. Doesn't mean I won't do entertainment again. If you enjoy it, let me know. Thanks guys. See you later. Bye.